Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming. I thought maybe last week we could do it in the snow, but no. <laughs> well, these are your people. These are actors here in the audience who came out to see you. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your life and career and, and acting. So uh, you were born and raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's right. Which sounds yeah. like a very fancy place. It's not a very fancy place, <laughs> but it's a very wonderful place. Yeah. It's a very... Uh, uh, it's interesting. It's filled with um, all different kinds of people. It mm -hmm. has uh, it has areas where uh, there are there are poverty and and there are areas of extreme wealth and there mm -hmm. are areas of, of 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 Harvard and MIT and it's just a great place to to be a great place to grow up. So when did you know you wanted to be an actor? Oh God. Um, you know, I wanted to be an ambassador. Really? <laughs> I wanted to be in the Foreign Service. And um, because my mother went to Radcliffe in 1932, I think, and during the Depression. And, and one of the women that she went to school with ended up being Admiral Reichauer's secretary. She was in the Foreign Service. And at that time, women couldn't be anything other than secretaries in the Foreign Service. But she actually was Adam Reichauer. She did the work that he did. And uh, she, he, was, he was the name, she was, she was the person who did the work. I wanted to be her, and I couldn't. And I had done summer stock out of high school, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Oh, wait, whoa, wait, oh, this is fun. <laughs> I like this, I like this a lot. And my uncle was Mr. North on radio. And um, he, we would go to his house when I was little, and, and uh, he would, after three martinis, would tell really <laughs> great stories. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is interesting. This is kind of fun. Maybe this is a possibility. But I, you know, you just don't know. You just, you're putting all of these things in your head when you're a kid and thinking, well, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do this. But for a woman in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, there weren't many choices. And uh, so after summer stock, I thought, well, maybe I'll try that, even though that's not something that women can do successfully, but I'll try it. And, and a friend of mine who was in summer stock with me, uh, uh, after, after our season was over and we went back to Cambridge and, and Amy said, I'm auditioning for an improv group in Cambridge. Will you come with me? 
And I said, yeah, sure. I had no idea what improv was. I had never heard the <laughs> word. And um, I, I looked it up and, and I thought, oh, that's fun. That's it. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> so we went to the audition and Amy auditioned and uh, I was sitting in the back of the room and they said, does anybody else want to audition? And I thought, <laughs> I'll try. So they said, okay, go in the back room. There was a little tiny room in the back that had lots of props. And they said, get some props and come out and do something. And I did, and, and I got the job, and Amy didn't. Oh. But Amy got the job at Dunster House, where she was doing a flea in her ear, and she was so happy. <laughs> and I got to do this job in improv. And for the first three months, I didn't open my mouth because I didn't know what it was. So I was in the background, and I would listen, I would learn. And these were people from the Harvard and BU communities, and... Uh, they knew what they were doing. I didn't. And they were, you know, they were either theater majors or voice majors. And so they were, they were out there. They, they, they were on their track. And I was just sort of standing in the background going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm <laughs> doing. I do. Why am I here? But I want to be so badly. And after about three months, I started talking and I started saying things on stage. And I realized I can do this. I'm good at this. I was very glib as a kid, and <laughs> I thought, you know, cocktail party conversation was my strong suit. <laughs> so I started talking, and I started realizing I'm really good at this. I have a mind that is facile enough so that I know what I'm talking about enough so that I can get the point across. I don't, you don't, nobody asked me a question because I can't go beyond that point, but I'm, I'm good to a certain point. And that's when I realized this was what I wanted to do for a living. I, I, I wanted to use my wits. And uh, so I was with Improv. I was with the proposition for about five years. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we moved to New York. They had a, a group. Uh, they, they wanted a group to open a, a, a group in New York. And I was sent to New York. And I sent kicking and screaming I didn't want to leave Cambridge. I didn't want to go to New York. I, didn't want to do it, but I did, and we uh, we had a little theater, and uh, we were kind of successful, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> and after about three years, I realized that because of improv, I was becoming the most obnoxious person. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go to social engagements, and I was always on. I was ready. I mean, you want to come to me with something, and my brain was ready to come back with something brilliant. I was brilliant at it. And I realized I'm so obnoxious. How am I ever going to get through life like this? So I thought I've got to I've got to bring this back. I've got to stop. I've got to get an editor because I didn't have one. Yeah. And that's what improv is all about. You get rid of that editor so that you can respond in kind. And uh, so after the proposition, I thought, okay, I've got to I've got to rethink about what I'm going to do with my life because. I don't want to be obnoxious. I really don't. I care about, you know, how people think about me and all this kind of stuff. So I pulled back from that and I thought, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be an actress. That's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So I started auditioning and nobody believed me. <laughs> and I finally auditioned for a touring company of How to Beat the High Cost of Living. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't that. It was uh, a Neil Simon play. It was... Um, 
Oh God, what was it? Thank you so much, Last of the Red Hot Lovers. <laughs> and I toured with George Goebel. Wow. I don't know if any of you know who George, George Goebel was. One of the funniest people I have ever met in my life. And um, he, he toured constantly doing stand-up and, and um, he, he made a, a bazillion dollars because he had a song called Are You a Turtle that was really huge <laughs> in the country western circuit. But this man was truly brilliant. He was truly funny. And um, uh, doing a, a Neil Simon play was just a great experience for me because I, I understood the timing of it and I understood that the, the, the comedy was there and I, 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 could, I could really get into the comedy and, and I, I thought, I'm good at this. I can do this. I can do this. And there was no reason why I should, I should have thought that way because I was not trained. I had no training and everybody I had worked with in the proposition, for instance, everybody was either in the uh, music department or um, in the English department or in the theater department. And I was just this rube that came in thinking, <laughs> I could do this, <laughs> no problem. But I learned and I was open to learning and, and uh, I, I just, I wanted it so badly. I wanted to be a part of you. <laughs> of all of you people, I wanted to be a union member. I wanted to be a, an actor who had respect. And, and, and the only way I could do that was by learning on the job and by respecting what I was doing, which I did, and uh, trying to be a good sport about it. And how did your family feel about this? I mean, your father owned my an insurance father, agency, right? My father had an insurance agency, and my father um, uh, lived through my uncle's. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he failed. He failed at, at theater, and he failed in, in show business. And he had to come back with his tail between his legs and go into the insurance business, where he became the guy who did the radio commercials from my father's insurance business. Mm -hmm. And he had a wonderful voice. And the voice, he sounded like you were going to die if you listened to these commercials. <laughs> when that time comes, <laughs> when there is a death in the family. <laughs> and it was just, it was so depressing listening to him. <laughs> but I figured that was the sadness of not succeeding in, in his chosen field. So, but my father was not a fan. My mother, she thought, okay fine. If you want to do it, fine. Okay. Uh, but my father was really against it, but it didn't matter because um, he wanted to be me to go into secretarial work or be a teacher, which is what was expected of you when I was growing up. And my mother, who had graduated from Radcliffe, proved to me that that wasn't enough. Um, I would go to reunions with her and uh, the women that she went to college with, they all did something with their lives, and my mother didn't. My mother raised four children, and she was good at it. She was really good at it. She was a great mother, but she wasn't satisfied. She wanted something else. And so when we go to these reunions, um, and she would see her friends who, you know, did the entire library system of Chad, you know, while raising 12 <laughs> children. I mean, these women did extraordinary things. And my mother always felt, I could have done it. I could have done it. And I, but I couldn't because of, of the culture, because of where she was, because of my father. 
So I, I, I saw that and I thought, I've got to do something. I've got to do something other than be a teacher or a nurse. I've got to do something that's going to benefit me. It's going to make me feel good. And that's when I found this. And I'm really glad I did. And we're really <laughs> glad you did too. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so did the proposition then lead to a the proposition, live, the proposition led to uh, theater, mm -hmm. which was interesting because um, I had done theater in summer stock and then I went from summer stock to, to improv, mm -hmm. but I had never really done theater. And uh, so I did the touring with George Goebel, mm -hmm. and then I came back and I did a couple of other things in New York that weren't really there, but, but it was still a learning experience. And I understood what it meant to be a theater actor and what it meant, you know, the discipline of that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, this is, there's, there's just so much to learn when you become an actor. And there are so many disciplines that, that required different approaches. And uh, film is very different from theater, which is very different from television, which is very different from radio, which is very different from everything. I mean, it's, it's just everything has its own uh, uh, discipline. And so I, I wanted to learn it all. And I wanted to learn theater. And then I wanted to learn commercials. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn what it was like to work with a, a, a camera. And so I auditioned for commercials. And I had a commercial agent think, God, who was wonderful. And um, I, I, I just, for a while, I couldn't get arrested because I wasn't an ingenue and um, I, I couldn't tap. <laughs> so at that time, you know, there was really no place to put you. But my commercial agent said, I've got to get you a job. I want to get you a job. So she would send me out for every single commercial that was requiring a woman. So I would go out for commercials for very tall redheads. I went to a commercial where I was the only white person. And she sent me out for everything. And God love her, you know, I started getting commercials, which taught me how to deal with a camera and not to be afraid of a camera. And um, I did more Lysol commercials than anybody, <laughs> except there was one person who told me I didn't know how to use a sponge. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know what <laughs> But uh, So how did you get the call to audition for the original cast of SNL? They called everybody. Yeah. They called every single person in New York who had ever been involved in anything that was funny. <laughs> and they held auditions for months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, it was like this, 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 uh, uh, I don't know, com uh, what is it called? The, well, it was, it was just this constant, yeah. constant barrage of people coming yeah. in and, and, and auditioning. And I went in, um, I was called into audition, and my friends from the proposition were called into audition, so we decided to audition together. And uh, so I was auditioning with two guys, and um, we improvised our audition, and they thought it was fine, and they said, thank you very much, and, and uh, we left, and then they called me back, and they said, um, we don't want to... My my agent said, they don't want you to audition, they just want to talk to you. So I thought, oh, okay. So I go in to talk to them, and they said, well, what have you prepared? <laughs> I said, nothing. And they said, oh, oh, okay. Um, and as I was walking out, very short, 
I walked out and I realized I had something in my purse. Ooh. I had done uh, an audition tape for CBS with a friend of mine and we had written of this little piece. And I said, wait a minute, I have something in my purse. <laughs> and so they said, oh, okay, okay, uh, uh, give it to Gilda, she'll read it, read it with you. And I said, oh, okay. So um, I go outside and I tell Gilda what it's all about. And she says, great, great. Okay, so we go in and we do it. And you got the job. I got the job. So uh, Check your purse. <laughs> it's the moral of the story. Always have something with you. Always have something in your purse. Yeah. Um, so what do you remember the very first show, the very first Saturday Night Live? I remember George Carlin, and I remember George Carlin giving Gilda Lorraine and me roses. Nice. And I remember him being the kindest, sweetest man ever. Mm-hmm. And we were all sitting, at, we were sharing a dressing room and we had been hired for about maybe six weeks. We had been together maybe six weeks. And so we're sitting in the dressing room before the show starts and three of us are sitting there and we're sort of nervous. And I said, remember when we were first hired? Remember when, <laughs> this is not the time to reminisce. <laughs> we haven't been together long enough to reminisce. <laughs> so yeah. That was all I remember. The yeah, first. yeah. So, how did you go about sort of finding your place on the show? How did you, you know, know? Which, I mean, did you get involved in the writing? I know you were very supportive of some of the writers who were there. I didn't get involved in the writing. I, I, um, I tried. Yeah. And I'm not good at it. I'm not a good salesperson. I, I, I was a debutante, and in order to fulfill the debutante code. <laughs> you have to do 100 hours of community service. <laughs> and I worked at a thrift store on, on Charles Street in Boston, and I worked there for two months one summer doing my 100 hours of community service, and I sold a spoon. <laughs> one spoon. So I'm not a good salesperson. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, they don't want to listen to me. I don't want to have to go up and prove myself to them. I'm, I was hired. So why do I have to prove myself every, I was hired. So I thought, I'm not gonna do that. I'm, they, don't, they don't trust me, they don't, eh. So I thought, okay, everybody else is going up there on Tuesday night and Wednesday and staying there. And I thought, I can't do it. I can't do it. They, they don't trust me. So I thought, I'm not gonna go. So I stopped going. And I would go there for a read-through. And they, uh, they had to put me in something. I was, <laughs> I mean, they had to. So I would go to the read-through, and I would read the pieces. And I was in maybe two or three pieces, no more than I would have been had I gone up and solicited. And uh, I, that was fine for me. That was enough. I just wanted to play. Just let me play. Don't make me beg for it. Just let me play. That's all I care about. And when Chevy left, and I was still, you know, I, I had at least one thing to do on the show every week, which was fine with mm -hmm. me. When Chevy left, they After needed the somebody season, yeah. to do update. Yeah. And uh, Lauren called me in and said, um, what do you think about doing update? And I said, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, I'll give you a shot. And I knew I could do it because I had done commercials. Mm -hmm. And that was, you have to have that in one with the camera. That's all you have to do. And then beyond that, you can do whatever you want as long as you're comfortable with that in one with the camera. And I was 
very fine with that. I was very comfortable with that. So uh, I got Update, and then um, Herb Sargent and I worked a lot with Update. Mm -hmm. So it became mine. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter whether I had anything else to do on the show, whether I was in any piece or, or if they had written me to do anything. I had Update, and that's all I needed to do. All I needed to do was one thing. Just give me a reason to be there, and I'll be there. <laughs> But don't make me beg for it. And uh, ultimately, you know, I, I got more things to do over the years as they began to trust me. But I don't know how to make people trust you. I don't know how to do that. So I figured the best way to do it was to do my job. And do it well. And to do it well and to be a good sport and to not produce a tremendous amount of drama, which I don't like. <laughs> um, and, and it worked for me. And, and I'm grateful for that experience. And I, 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 I love that experience. And, and I would go back again and do it. Um, probably not for very long, but <laughs> I would do it again just because of that rush, of yeah. that rush of live television. And when the, when the band starts playing, there's something that happens to you. Your spleen starts dancing. <laughs> it's internal. It, you can feel it. It's, it's awesome. So perhaps because of the anchor role that you played, you, you sort of became known as uh, kind of the deadpan member of the cast, yeah. you know, the, the straight woman. Yeah. Uh, did that ever bother you? Did you ever want to play no. like crazy characters like Gilda and Lucy? I didn't care. I didn't care as long as I had a reason to be. That's all I cared about. I didn't care what people thought about me. Just let me do it. Just let me do it. That's all I cared about. Um, you also became known, for better or worse, as kind of the normal one of the cast. Yeah. You uh, married your husband, who you're still married to, the year he's, that the show started. He's, he's in the he's, green he's, room. He's in the green room. Um, I read a quote from Al Franken saying, you seemed disgusted by much of what was going on around you at, at Saturday Night Live. It was hard to deal with. Yeah. It was hard to deal with because I was so... Because for me, this was so important. This was my job. This was important to me. This was, this was going to keep me going. This was going to introduce me to the world so that I could keep working and, and doing what I love to do. And there were people who were not respecting it and they were not coming to work. And, and yet we were there waiting to work. And that's hard to deal with. That's really hard to deal with. Yeah. It's just disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah. And you kind of got grouped with Lorraine and Gilda as yeah. Jane, Lorraine, and Gilda. Yeah. Um, did you mind that? that Not were, at all. Did Not you guys bond as a, as a Oh, very a trio? much so. Very much so. We were very tight. Yeah. 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 And we had to be. You know, I mean, it, it was it was tough working against the the powers that were, mm -hmm. and the women writers and the and the women performers. I mean, we had a tough road to hope. Yeah, I heard you say that you felt like comedy at that time was very masculine, very aggressive. Well, it was. And you wanted to prove that you didn't have to blow something up to, yeah. to be funny. Yeah. Um, but that must have been a, a, a tough battle to, to fight on a weekly basis. It, it was what it was, you know. I mean, we came out of, of uh, the 60s and the 70s. Don't forget the Equal Rights Amendment didn't pass. So there was no reason to believe that there was any, any way that these guys were going to change that the society was going to change, the culture was going to change. There was always going to be the women were second-class citizens, and we knew that, and we, we were trying to fight against it, but it was an uphill battle, so what do you do? You know? It's interesting, because I was, I was looking back at some old clips, you know, the ones that people always pull out are like, uh, 
you know, Dan Aykroyd saying to you, Jane, you're ignorant slut. But right before he says that to you, you say to him, you know, you sexist, racist, elitist, sadistic, anti-humanist pig. But nobody no. remembers no. that. No. 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 <laughs> no. Why is that? I mean, why well, did, because why did... you ignorant slut is a great <laughs> phrase. Come on, it sounds good. I mean, comedy, a lot of comedy is how it sounds. True. Yeah. You know, True. Billy Persky used to talk about, you know, K-words. You gotta yeah. have a K-word. Billy Persky was one of the showrunners on Kate and Alley and yeah. worked on the Dick Van Dyke show. It's still around. Yeah, yeah it's still, still around. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, man. great, great comedy writer. Yeah. Um, and then also the, the clip that always comes up is the, the Connie Chung, you tearing open your blouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was that like to, to do? I mean, do you remember that moment? It was great. Moment? It was great. The interesting thing was that uh, at that time, Lauren and I weren't speaking. Really? Well, there was no point. <laughs> I mean, he would he would say things, and and most of it was about you know people he had dinner with, or Paul Simon, or yeah. I mean, it was just name dropping after name dropping after name dropping, and and then he would eventually get to the point, and it would be a half an hour later, and you think, you know. I've got to walk my dog. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I just thought, I can't deal with this anymore. This is crazy. Because I, I had complained to him about John's behavior. And mm -hmm. John would look at my purse, and he would go in my dressing room. And I thought, this is, no, I don't want this. I don't want this guy in my dressing room. Mm -hmm. And Lauren didn't do anything about it. So I thought, okay, okay, we have no communication. Mm -hmm. there's, what's, there's no point. Yeah. So if he needed to talk to me, he went through Gilda. Oh. So Gilda came to me one day and she said, Lauren thinks it would be funny if you opened your shirt on, on update. And I said, why? And he said, well, you know, because Connie Chung. I said, well, okay. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. No problem. But it was not, you know, we did not communicate. Yeah. Lauren and I did not. It was through Gilda. Is there anything that you did on the show that you regret now looking back on? Or? No. No. Well, that's a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the It was all funny. Yeah. And the whole point was to be funny. Yeah. I mean, there were times when, when we did, ins there was one time, I wasn't involved in it. There was one thing on the show that I really had a problem with. And that was the first year of the show. And uh, they were doing a thing where, I don't know what the premise was, but somebody had his children who were like five and six performing on television in bikinis. Mm. And I thought, this isn't right. These mm -hmm. children have no choice. Mm -hmm. These children do not have a choice as to whether or not they want this. Mm -hmm. This is wrong. And I, I mentioned it, but eh, no, it's funny. <laughs> but it wasn't funny. Yeah, yeah. No. So I didn't um, like that. What was it like? Becoming a conehead. I mean, literally, physically, get the makeup Becoming, on. Becoming, <laughs> you know, it, the initial conehead idea was really fun. Yeah. But be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I mean, my God, you know, it's like the glue, and, and they had to put them on, and and you had no time to take them off. Yeah. So they would put them on, and they wanted them to really look good. So they put a lot of glue here, and a lot of glue here, and a lot of glue here, and a lot of glue. Here. I was allergic to the glue. Oh. So I, after a while, they would rip it off your head, and I would have these welts all over my face. So every time we did the cone heads, I would be. You don't have to. I won't move my head. I promise I won't move my head. Just don't glue it. Just please don't glue it. Just please don't glue it. Yeah. The conads were hard. Yeah. So what was it like after the first season when Chevy left and, and Bill Murray came in? I mean, how much did that change kind of the chemistry of the 
ensemble, do you think? It changed. There was a liberation. Um, Billy was was uh, known to John and Dan and Gilda, and um, I had known Billy because we auditioned for the Howard Cosell show together. Saturday Night uh, Live with Howard Cosell. Yeah. The one that no one remembers. No one remembers, but Barbara <laughs> Walters and Howard Cosell singing, I can do anything better than you. Ah. I love that. Um, Billy Crystal was on that. Yeah. But so I knew Billy, yeah. and so it was it was more comfortable. But Chevy was difficult. Chevy mm -hmm. was a presence mm -hmm. that was had to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Billy is a presence that has to be dealt with, but you appreciate the presence. <laughs> There's something about Billy that is just... It comes from a different place. Yeah, it comes from a a, a more creative, a, a, a better place. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. And you guys all reunited not too long ago. You were inducted into the TV Academy yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. And Billy was, was not on stage, but he was in no, the audience. No, he was there. <laughs> yes, know. I know. What I was know. it like to be all together again like that? I mean, a few of you are no longer with us, unfortunately, but everyone who's still around was there. And you know something? I, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't normally do things. I don't normally go out. I, I like to stay in my house and walk my dog and and cook. And um, we were uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame as uh, the, the original cast of, of Saturday Night Live, which was kind of awesome. Um, and we were in a room with, with Shonda Rhimes and, I mean, just amazing people. So it, it was pretty great. And, and it was also pretty great to be re reunited with um, people that you haven't seen in a long time, like Garrett. I hadn't seen Garrett in about 10 years. And, I love that man. I thought I'm, he was the funniest oh, one that night. God, I, I just say. love just, that man so much. He, he was, and Garrett and I have been friends for a long time. And yeah. It's, it's just amazing that we all survived and that we're all still around and, and we're all, uh, there's pretty much, uh, you can understand what we say. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's nice to reach a certain point where you're still functioning. Yeah. And... Uh, and you, you see your friends, and they're still functioning, too. And, and we're all okay. We're all okay. So we're going to get to some more Saturday Night Live questions when we get the questions from the audience, but I want to move on in your career. So what was it like to leave Saturday Night Live? Was that your decision? Was oh, it was definitely like, my decision. Yeah. You know, it was, like, it was like leaving improv. Mm -hmm. um, there is a certain way you approach something, mm -hmm. and it consumes your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it becomes your life. And, and with Saturday Night Live, uh, it was the same thing as improv, only different. I mean, it was a different part of your brain, but it was not only your brain, but it was also your entire soul because you had to deal with people on the outside and they interpreted you whatever they way they wanted to. But there were times when I would walk down the street and I would pass by somebody who would shake. He would vibrate <laughs> because I was there. And I just thought, why? Why are you doing that? That's insane. And, and so it became, it became the point where you didn't want to go out because people did not address you as a human being. You were beyond a human being. You were something so much better than they were, so much better than they could ever be, which was a lie. I mean, we were just out there being actors. We were doing our job. And that's no different from them doing their job. 
And so it made me really uncomfortable. I didn't like that position. I didn't like being there. And so when, the, when my contract was up, I thought, I can't do this anymore. Um, I want to go someplace else. I don't want to be what people perceive me as. I want to I do something where I'm not threatening. Because I was threatening on Saturday Night Live, and I didn't like that. So Kate and Allie, come on. What's more <laughs> non-threatening than Kate and Allie? Kate and Allie's a wonderful show. Yeah, we'll it was I, perfect for me at yeah, that time. Yeah, I want to talk to you about a couple things you did before Kate and Allie, though. You took a cruise on the love boat. I did, I did. And because my friend Fred Grandy... Fred Grandy was in the off-Broadway show with you, right? He, Fred Grandy was in, in the proposition with me. Yeah. Fred um, was at Harvard, and uh, he was a junior when I was in the proposition. And, and he played gopher in the love boat. He played gopher in the knows. love boat. But Fred also, when um, we moved to New York as the for the proposition, and Fred was part of the group... And he left the group, and then he went off and, and was an actor and, and doing these great plays and got, you know, nominations for Tonys and all of this kind of stuff, and, and then did The Love Boat. Now I went off and did Saturday Night Live, and, and Fred called me, and he said, would you ever? And I thought, oh, my God, because, you know, of course, we, how trendy we were and how, you know, everything was about, uh, you know, I don't want to be seen doing that. <laughs> but this was my friend, Fred. And he asked me to be on his show. And I thought, yeah, I'll be on your show, Fred. I'll do it. Because he would have done it for me. Yeah, yeah. And so I went and I did the love boat. And it was the worst experience I've <laughs> ever had in my life. <laughs> the director was a man by the name of Jack Arnold. He directed Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> he wore white plastic shoes. <laughs> and there were three women who were guest starring on this show. And he gave us all numbers. But we didn't know that he had given us all numbers. <laughs> we expected him to call us by our name when he wanted us on the set. But no, he called us all numbers. Mine was 69. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that was my love boat experience. <laughs> and the guy I had to kiss did nothing but complain the entire time we, did, we were there, and they hated my clothes. Oh. Well, you know, no good deed goes no unpunished. No good I guess. deed, yeah. Um, and you, you you did Broadway too after I did. Saturday Night Live? Yep. Candida was your first yep. Broadway show? Candida, yeah. Uh, what was that like? It was really interesting because um, uh, Michael Christopher was directing, and Michael had just won the Pulitzer, uh, and directing was this new thing for him. And, and uh, Joanne Woodward had always wanted to do Candida, and um, so they asked me to do Prosy, and I thought, well, that would be fun. And uh, uh, then there was an actor's strike. And um, so we, or a writer's strike, it was a writer's strike. So we thought we would do the play in Ohio at, at uh, Kenyon College where Paul Newman had gone. And um, they had a wonderful theater program. And so we decided to do the, the, theater, the play there. Mm -hmm. We did it there. And it was interesting because Michael wanted my character to be drunk. <laughs> I don't know why, but he thought that would be a good idea. So, um, okay. Uh, so we do, we do the play in Kenyon, and uh, I come on as, as Prosy, and I'm drunk. And um, it was so successful, they thought they would bring it to Broadway. 
And uh, so the problem with working with the Newmans is that they all say, you know, they always say, this is going to be, we're just going to do this little thing in Westbrook. It'll be great. It just, it's, it's two weeks. That's all you get. Then it goes to Broadway. <laughs> so you, your life is, is now Broadway for this thing. Um, so, yeah, we ended up doing it Circle in the Square, which was uh, interesting and um, terribly reviewed. But that's okay. We tried. And uh, it was fun. Yeah, and then yeah, it was you had fun. Been on Broadway with Paul Newman again in yeah. our town many, yeah. many years later. What was yeah. that like to sort of come full circle with? Uh, well, with I had been friends with them forever. Yeah. And um, uh, I adored those two. And uh, uh, when our town came about, mm -hmm. uh, they weren't sure whether Paul was going to do it. He was, they, they called me in October and they said, Well, if we do our town, would you ever want to? Yeah, sure. And uh, so Paul finally decided around December because he had started memorizing the lines in November and by December he had them. Mm -hmm. And he thought, I can do this. <laughs> so yeah, we were all on board for it. And it was, it, it was really a town. We really created a town. And we did it at the Westport Country Playhouse initially and uh, we had a teacher from Westport, and we had kids from Westport, and we had, um, you know, everybody was 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 part of the town. So we incorporated this wonderful experience where we all were members of this town. And I, I don't know whether I've ever had a theatrical experience quite as lovely as that. I mean. We would bring snacks in. I mean, we Joanne and I would dance. You know, she would come at at at, uh, at intermission, and we just sort of dance, and the kids would dance, and, and backstage was really fun, and I, it was a wonderful experience. It was just, it was why we do this. So uh, before Kate and Ellie, you started to do some slightly more dramatic roles, TV movies. Uh, I know you did one with Tom Selleck called Divorce Wars. Yeah. Uh, was did that feel different for you to do those kind of roles uh, from having done Saturday Night Live and and sketch and, and theater too to be playing more kind of characters? It did. It arcs? didn't uh, feel that different. Um, I always considered myself a character actress, mm -hmm. and and so that's why I never got cast as an ingenue. <laughs> so I had to consider myself as something. Um, <laughs> but that was that was because it was so well written. Mm -hmm. It was so easy to um, uh, inhabit that character mm -hmm. and inhabit that that situation, mm -hmm. uh, which I was, it was so well written. That just a wonderful movie, mm -hmm. and the guy who directed it was he, essentially his story. Mm -hmm. um, but it was easy to to get in there. It was just easy to be that person. I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you made the film How to Beat the High Cost of Living, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, which I remember seeing uh, in the theater. Um, and God, that's did where we go crazy doing that movie. <laughs> it was so crazy. So it was you and Susan St. James. Susan St. James and Jessica Lang. And Jessica Lang, yeah. We shot it in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, the production company was very concerned about three women in the you know the lead roles. There were probably going to be. Fights everywhere, <laughs> and we loved each other. And what we would, on our days off, we would we would ride our bikes on the bike paths and pick blackberries that are everywhere. And and uh, we just had a blast doing this movie. And at one point during the movie, the production company decided that they were going to um, uh, get us all whitewater rafting. Mm -hmm. 
So, which is, I mean, had the insurance company heard about this, they would have just died. But they arranged for us all to go whitewater rafting down the Mackenzie River in, in Oregon, which is just amazing. And we had the entire crew and all the actors and everybody above the line, below the line, going down the river in this. Oh, it was so much fun. It was just awesome. I love that movie. And is that what led to you then teaming with Susan St. James for Kate and Alex? No, is that unrelated? no, no, that was totally unrelated. Yeah. yeah. So why did you decide to do that series? I know you, you had had your daughter around that time, and mm -hmm. it was the idea of doing a sitcom and having In New York, hours yeah, yeah. I, to you I, at that point? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to be a, a mother, and I wanted to be a hands-on mother, and I knew that if I, if I was pursuing films, I wouldn't be able to do that unless I had a staff. Uh, and I didn't want a staff. And uh, I thought, well, gee, you know, if I could do a TV series in New York City and we live in New York City, you know, yeah. So it seemed like the right idea at the right time. And it, it really was. It really was. I mean, working with Billy Persky, I'm sorry if any of you ever get a chance to even see Billy Persky. He's, yeah. He's just such a wonderful man and such a talented man and such a gift to this entire profession. Um, and, and Susan and I had babies at pretty much three months apart. And so we would go to work in the morning and our kids would come. The nannies would bring the kids around 10 o'clock and the babies would be crawling around the floor and we'd be, you know, blocking around them. And it was, I, I, oh my God, what a gift that was. What a gift. And you taped it to the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and we taped it on videotape, which meant... That you had banker's hours. You'd go to work at 10 o'clock in the morning and you'd be home at 4. Yeah. And then on tape day, um, there was one tape day when we got to work at noon and we ran through the show and we had enough time to go to a movie so to come back before <laughs> the... <laughs> we did it. We did it. So it was, it was spectacular. Yeah. And do you feel like that show was ahead of its time or groundbreaking in a way in the way that oh, it depicted I have, I have no idea. women and divorce and... I think that, that what, what it did was it reassured an awful lot of men that their daughters were going to be okay. Because <laughs> we would get a lot of uh, comments from older men, you know, fathers, yeah. saying this, this really has, has made me feel as though my daughter is going to be okay, that yeah. she doesn't need a man. Mm -hmm. which is, and that's what the older guys thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was your relationship like with the actors who played your children on the show? Was oh, like... man. I'm still friendly with them. Yeah? Yeah. Allison Smith and Freddie Kohler. Freddie Kohler is actually very friendly with my daughter. Yeah? Um, yeah. Um, so when that show came to an end, what, what did that feel like? I, mean, I you, felt like my, I was never going to work again, <laughs> uh, which is every actor feels that after every job. And, well, you um, won a couple Emmys for it, so yeah. You know. I did, but that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> yeah. you know? You know, you never know. You never yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> no, everybody, you know, as soon as the, the thing is over, uh, how, how many of us think that we're actually going to work again? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> It's, it's in our DNA that we, we don't trust ourselves. We just don't. No. Well, maybe this explains another bit of your past that I wanted to ask you about. You're in the video 
for a Bobby Brown song on the Ghostbusters <laughs> oh, no. 2 soundtrack. Fuck no! <laughs> on our, I know I am. Uh, the the, the yeah. video is that he's on these billboards all around New York yeah. City and all these celebrities are coming out and seeing him up on the billboards. Yeah. And you're walking out of There's like a porn me. shop. I know. Why? Why did that happen? Because <laughs> they asked me. I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, be careful because if I answer the phone, you have no idea what's going to happen. And also in that video, I don't know if you remember, is Donald Trump. Yes, somebody pointed that out to me. Yes, somebody pointed that out. So Donald and I were in the same video. How lucky for me. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, so what were those years like? I mean, before you then get another big hit in Third Rock the, the years Sun. are, I'll never work again. Yeah. And that's okay. I've had a great run. And, um, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Yeah. And then Third Rock from the Sun comes along. Yeah. Carsey Werner, John Lithgow. Yeah. And actually, Third Rock was very interesting. I was, I was in Virginia, and I was, I was playing Mary Todd Lincoln to um, Chris Christopherson's <laughs> Abe. Wow. Yeah. I missed and that. I know it was to be missed, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, they asked me, and they said, would you ever want to be Mary Todd Lincoln? And I went, oh, okay. So I did my research, and I, I learned about Mary Todd Lincoln, and then they said, well, Todd, Chris Christopherson is going to play Abe. And I went, oh, okay. And I went to Jamestown, Virginia, and um, I got all dolled up and, and lots of curls. Every ounce of my body, every inch was accessorized with something, a bow or a rose or something, and a very tight little corset. And um, I had done all this research about what Mary Tyler, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was, you know, believed and what she was like and how she dealt with her husband. And she once threw potatoes at him, and I thought that was kind of cool. And, and so the first shot is on a riverboat on the James River, and um, Chris is talking to our son Todd, and. And he's saying something to him. I never thought, what does Mary Todd Lincoln sound like? So Chris says something to Todd, and my response was to say, "Put her down. Put her. Put her there. Put her there, Todd." And I say it exactly like Chris says, "Put her there, Todd." <laughs> <laughs> and I went, "Put her." <laughs> so I thought, no, I, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. So it took me about three and a half minutes to come up with some sound that was going to come out of Mary Todd Lincoln's mouth. It was not my finest moment. <laughs> so Third Wreck with the Sun must have been a huge relief. Oh then. my God. But anyway, I was in Virginia and um, I was in my hotel room and I had done my day's work and I uh, was trying to get some sort of exercise and I had two bottles of red wine in my room, so I thought I'd use those as weights. So I'm running around my room, I'm doing my exercises with my weights of the bottles of wine, and I get a phone call, Bonnie Turner. <coughs> Bonnie Turner had written and produced the Ghost, uh, the uh, Conan's movie. Yeah. And uh, Bonnie, I love Bonnie Turner. She's just fun, really smart and fun. And she said, hi, what are you doing? 
And I said, actually, I'm working on my room with two red wine bottles. <laughs> and she said, where are you? And I said, I'm in Virginia, and I'm doing, I'm Mary Todd Lincoln for a while. So <laughs> she said, oh. I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, we just did this pilot with John Lithgow. And I said, oh, my God, how, how was that? Was that fun? And she said, yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> we have to reshoot it. I said, why? And she said, well, one of the characters didn't work. It should really be two characters. I said, oh, what do you do in, in June? I said, what do you mean? What, what? She said, you want to come out and do a pilot? And I said, oh, Bonnie, I can't do a pilot. I can't commit to, to seven years in California. I live in New York. I, I can't do it. She said, you wouldn't have to commit. Just do the pilot. And I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so I went out and I did the pilot. And after the pilot, she said, well, I guess it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hmm, not so fast. <laughs> what, what, how, what, how many can I do? And she said, how many do you want to do? <laughs> I said, how, how about I do six? And she said, okay, do six. After the sixth one, I said, wait a minute. You mean somebody else is going to come in and do this instead of me? And she said, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, I'll do it! <laughs> I couldn't pass that up. Yeah. I had more fun than I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Working on Third Rock from the Sun, not only was it John and, and, and Simbi and... and the writers and everything about it was just so silly and damn fun. I had more fun doing that show than I think I've ever had in my life. It was just awesome. Yeah. Oh. And uh, so you, you've had, I mean, an incredible longevity to your career. I mean, we were talking about I'm stage. I'm really about, old. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> really old. But I mean, are you surprised that of the original Saturday Night Live cast members, you've kind of had the longest lasting career of the, of the, uh, the original group? I never thought about that, really. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I guess I'm the most persistent and the one that was, um, I, I, I guess I didn't really expect much. So I was willing to take whatever they would give me because I wanted to stay in this business and I wanted to do what I do. Um, so I don't know why that's true. Uh, I don't know why. I think you've also proven very versatile. I mean, you've been doing more dramatic roles in recent years. You were on Unforgettable as a yeah, medical examiner. Them. You were a judge that. on The Good I One. I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's great fun. Do you enjoy those kind of parts? I do. As much as I, the comedic roles? Or? Yeah, because you know why? I, I like the process, and I like the people. I like the Teamsters. I like the I like the actors. I like the craft service people. <laughs> I, I, I like the people who are committing their lives to this because we're all in it for the same reason. We all like doing it. Yeah. We all don't want to work in an office. We don't. Well, the lighting is terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's really true. bad. That's true. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We want to work with people who are a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. You know. I mean, we are. We really are. We're thoughtful. Um, we're imaginative. We're creative. We're fun. We're funny. We're empathetic. Well, hey, we're not, 
gets better than us. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. Absolutely. Well, I think one person who uh, fits all those descriptions is Melissa McCarthy, who's oh gotten to work God. with a couple yeah. times in recent years. Yeah. Uh, first on The Heat, yeah. right? And now you've made another film with her that's coming out in the fall. Yeah. Um, what's it been like? I mean, does she look to you as kind of a comedic godmother in a way? or? No, we we like each other. <laughs> we like each other, and we're really comfortable with each other. We mm -hmm. we um, I don't know whether it's the Irishness. I don't know <laughs> you know what it is, but um, I want to tell you a story about Melissa McCarthy. I just did a movie with Melissa. Um, can you ever forgive me? And uh, it's a interesting story. It's an interesting character study, and she's wonderful in it. Um, I play her agent, her literary agent, and she's a she's an author. And we're having a book party, and in my in my apartment, I'm I'm the scene is I'm standing there talking to a woman and two men authors, and we're having a conversation. And Melissa's character comes in and and makes a beeline to the next room, and they all cut. And I'm standing there still talking to these people, and uh, we're just sort of chatting. And Melissa comes back into the room and she's standing off to my right and she's looking at the group and she finally says to the woman she said I'm so sorry what's your name and the woman said her name and Melissa said you probably don't remember me but I was doing costumes when you were doing this is one of these when you were doing a play and I watched your performance, and it changed my life. And here was a woman of a certain age. She had had her moment in the sun, and she will probably have another one. But right now, she was, you know, as we all go through this, she was an extra. And Melissa had, had the strength and the empathy and the honesty to tell this woman how she affected her. And it, that this woman just, I just looked at this woman and, come on, it doesn't get better than that. Two human beings. This is what it's all about. She's amazing. Um, before we get to the audience questions, there are a couple questions that we ask everyone here because this is a SAG After Foundation. Uh, do you remember what got you your SAG card? Was it a commercial or was it not till Saturday Night Live that you were uh, became a member of the union? Or? Mm, my SAG card. Hmm. I remember my equity card. Um, I don't remember my SAG card. What was it? What, what got you the equity card? Uh, we were up at the. Um, uh, uh, we were the uh, improv. The proposition was performing at uh, a theater in Buffalo, New York. I had pneumonia, and I would I would go out and and do a little bit of uh, what I had to do, and then go back off stage, and the bartender would have a glass of whiskey for me so I wouldn't cough. Wow. And that's how we got our equity card. Uh, <laughs> uh, my SAG card, I'm not sure what it was. My after card was interesting. All right. Okay, my after card. This is back in 1968. And I was doing the proposition and the Mike Douglas show. Remember Mike Douglas, yeah. the guy with the really long arms? <laughs> <laughs> Had a talk show in Philadelphia that was produced by Roger Ailes. That's right. And so they had heard about the proposition up in Cambridge, and they said, well, you should come down and, and be on the Mike Douglas show. And we went, what? 
<laughs> so we thought this is great. And we went down to Philadelphia and we were on the Mike Douglas show and we did our thing and, and, and then we left and, and we got home and we got checks in the mail. And then we got a phone call from Roger Ailes. Each one of us got an individual phone call from Roger Ailes saying, well, you understand that that check is to be returned because this was actually a promotional thing so that you are promoting your show and you should actually be paying us wow. for promoting the show. And of course, we well, I was 19. We didn't know. So we, oh, okay, so we sent back our checks. Meanwhile, you know, I'd, we moved to New York and the, the show was on in New York and I'm sitting in my apartment on uh, West 11th Street that was tiny and had a hot wall for a kitchen and a hole in the bathtub. <laughs> and I got a f knock on the door one night and there was two guys, this is 1969, two guys in trench coats, big guys. <laughs> this was before after changed. <laughs> and these were... These guys, they were coming to tell me. They were mobsters. Wow. Yeah. And they were threatening me and because I wasn't a member. Mm -hmm. And I think two years later, there was a huge overhaul in the AFTRA system and all mm -hmm. those guys were gone. But that was really scary. So I was very anti-union at that point. <laughs> I really was. Yeah. And it, I thought, no, no, this is America. I can't do that. I am so pro-union now, I can't tell you how much I love our unions and how much they protect us and take care of us. And if it wasn't for the unions, I wouldn't have a pension. You know, and I'm, I, if I don't, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I work uh, still. Um, we don't know how long that's going to go. But, <laughs> we, but, but still, I, I'm lucky. There are a lot of people who aren't still working and yet they get a pension. You know, they put in their time, and the unions have protected them throughout this, after 1969, after all of this time, and, and they have taken care of us. And I am, I am so grateful for our unions. Just want to say that out Absolutely, loud. Absolutely, yes. And um, <clears throat> since these are all actors in the audience, um, I was wondering if there's a piece of advice that you got from another actor at some point in your career that really meant a lot to you that you could pass along to the Actors who don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. Don't, don't. Whatever you do, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. No, no. It's basically the uh, advice I got. <laughs> All right, we, we have a lot of really great questions from the audience members. So I want to get. I want to get to some of these. Um, I don't know who this is from. They didn't say who, but it says, uh, "Was there a particular project that you?" Uh, worked on where you felt this is exactly what I want to be saying to the world right now. Oh, God, I guess when I was doing Update on Saturday Night Live, I got the chance to say things that I wanted to say. Um, I worked with Herb Sargent, who was um, an extraordinary man. I just adored Herb Sargent. And after um, Saturday Night Live, I worked with Herb on several projects. We did a lot of things together. And um, as long as I could be Herb's voice, I was really happy because he was really smart. Uh, this is a question from Lindsay Bryce, who puts in parentheses, was Tom Davis's girlfriend. Oh, my God! <laughs> my Tom favorite said, man. Uh, Tom said, Tom Davis was a writer with Al Franken on Saturday Night Live and performer. 
Tom said, when the writers and the cast wanted to negotiate higher salaries, they chose you to represent them. How was that process? It was really stupid. <laughs> um, I was, uh, they, one, of the, one of the things that um, was interesting about my position on Saturday Night Live was because I was the only one that the uh, executives felt comfortable being next to <laughs> because they were afraid people were going to throw food at them. <laughs> so I was always the one that, 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 that they designated to go and, and deal with the executives. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was not a... Uh, negotiator. I tried. I, you know, we got a little increase, but I don't think I did the best I could have done. <laughs> uh, question from uh, Ruben Navarro. What is your take on the difference between political correctness in the 70s and on SNL today? Well, there was more, uh, there was more censorship in the 70s. Um, we had to do uh, a lot of, uh, we'll put this in so that they, they won't let us do this so we can get this done, you know, um, and, and, and silly kind of censorship. You know, we couldn't say doo-doo <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. Um, and it was as bad as, as Lucy not being able to be pregnant on I Love Lucy. I mean, it was that small. Um, now, uh, since shithole countries, I say, <laughs> you know, all bets are off. That's true. Uh, question. Um, besides the people that you worked with in your cast years, is there any SNL cast member you would love to have worked with? Jan Hooks. I worked with Jan on, on, on Third Rock, but I would have loved to have worked with her on Saturday Night Live. I thought Jan was brilliant and probably the bravest person, the bravest actress I've ever met. Just extraordinary. And that episode of Third Rock, as I recall, Phil Hartman was also Yes, he was. In, yes, he was. Um, and it was a cliffhanger they couldn't complete because he, he yeah. died in between the seasons. What do you remember about working with him? At that well, point? I had known Phil. I had met Phil several times before, and, and Phil was just a great guy. He was yeah. just a great guy. Yeah. There was no reason why that should happen. I know, I know, yeah. And an incredibly talented guy. Absolutely. Uh, question from uh, Anika Connor. Can you speak a little about the physicality of humor and how you find the quirks or physical mannerisms for your various characters? Um, I, I think physical humor is probably the most fun. Um, I, I, I really liked it when uh, John Lithgow and I were tied together with pantyhose. Um, I like that kind of stuff. Uh, it just makes me happy. Um, I, what was the rest of the question? Just, I mean, how do, you, how do you approach a character sort of developing their physical quirks or mannerisms? Oh, well, you just you do it through rehearsal. You, you do it through, you know, once you, once you read what the character is, and then you you're in the in the physical space and you work through it you work through it as the character and it just it 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 comes out it's it's just a part of the the blocking process and um that, that's actually my favorite thing to do yeah blocking mm -hmm. you're just physical comedy yeah yeah love it yeah uh question from uh marissa uh how does it feel seeing the development of the seed you planted as an original cast member of saturday night live Interesting way of putting the question. Um, I, I never thought Saturday Night Live was, was going to succeed. <laughs> um, I've never won the lottery. Uh, I've never 
done a lot of things. I've been wrong on so many issues. Um, I think that that uh, by maintaining, and this was the thing that I was against, maintaining the form was what succeeded, what made the show succeed. And I was thinking they've got to change the form. They've just, it's so tired. No, it worked, it worked. Keeping that form worked. Um, I, I think that uh, their casting has been really interesting throughout the years. Uh, I find that sometimes they cast people who look alike and that's a problem. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell who's who, but they're all so incredibly talented. And there are so many talented people. There are so many people who can do that. And there are so few venues for them. And, uh, you know, it, it's probably the most fun thing to do to, to put yourself up there and, and, and be stupid. <laughs> for however long you want to do it. But th there should be more venues because everybody likes watching it and everybody likes doing it. So why can't we figure out a way for more places where we can all do that? Yeah. Maybe bowling alleys. <laughs> why not? Uh, what was a character or idea that uh, you wanted to play that never made it onto SNL? I mean, you weren't really involved in the writing, but were there, were there ideas that you had? There was you a character that was on SNL twice, I think. Um, and it was a character that I did in the proposition called Iris de Flaminio. And Iris was a trucker. And she was a trucker that used to call into late night uh, talk shows on uh, Boston radio. And I would listen to her when I was in Boston. Yeah. And uh, she was amazing. Iris was just, Iris knew everything. And she was as tough as nails. And, and yet she was as sexy as they came. I loved this person. And so I did her twice on, on Saturday Night Live. And that was all. Yeah. And I wanted to do more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from your huge body of work, what do you find is the project or role that people most identify you with? Depends on their age. Yeah? <laughs> Depends on their age. Uh, yeah. There are, um, there are people that, you know, it, 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 it's people like Third Rock, they like Saturday Night Live, and they like Kate and Alley, and right. that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you play an instrument? No, I wish I did. I wish I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tried to play the piano, but our teacher had gas. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, it was well, just awful. Well, My well, sister and I, we had talent. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, question from Alan. Uh, who were your comedy heroes growing up? Were you a fan of stand-up or sketch, like your show of shows? Uh, those kind of variety shows? I was a fan of people like Eve Arden, um, uh, Cara Williams. I don't know, nobody knows Cara Williams. She was pretty awesome. Um, uh, Betty White, who had a 15-minute program on television, Life with Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the program, they would say, Elizabeth, aren't you ashamed? And she would go, <laughs> I loved her. I loved all those women that were that were the second bananas. I I liked the women who had opinions. I liked the women who who were tough, who who were funny, who were, you know, Marjorie Maine I loved. I mean, these these people who had substance and they weren't the 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 frail, you know, huh. 
kind of kind of ingenue that I didn't know how to do. And uh, so those were my those were my heroes. Mm -hmm. Those women. Uh, question from Lauren: um, Have you seen the new documentary premiering at Tribeca this year on Gilda Radner? Mm -mm. Do you have any stories of you uh, with her and the? I haven't seen it. Um, I just bumped into Alan's wife, Bell, uh, and um, he told me all about it. And uh, he's a good friend of Gilda's and a writer. Yeah, on yeah, SNL. yeah. And uh, uh, Gilda deserves it. She deserves a documentary. She deserves notice. Uh, because there was something so extraordinary about that woman, and it wasn't just—it wasn't just her sense of humor. It was her—it it was her humanity, and it was the kind of humanity that was almost painful for her. She felt um, she felt so much for people, and um, it hurt her, and and. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why she was so forthcoming on stage, because it was a way to get rid of that pain that she felt about the human condition and about, you know, what she wanted out of life and all of this kind of stuff. And it was all there. And she was, oh, my God, she was just an amazing person. First of all, she was a really good friend. And uh, she would listen to you, and she would... She would uh, she would come up with ideas to make it better, <laughs> which you want from a friend. And um, her talent was exceptional. It was just exceptional. But it was also her downfall because part of her talent was her exposure. And her exposure uh, made her more open to crazy people. <laughs> And she had a lot of crazy people coming after her, and that was frightening. And that was, you know, it, it was a tough, it was tough being Gilda. It was really hard being Gilda, but it was wonderful being around her so you could experience her. And the saddest thing I, I, I heard was that they're going to have to change the name of Gilda's Club, which are the, because nobody knows who she is anymore. Oh, they're not going to do it? That's what I heard. This was a while ago, and there was a backlash on Twitter. I Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I that doesn't happen. Yeah. 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 I don't know yeah. Them, but they're yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's keep our fingers yes, crossed for that, because that should keep going. Absolutely. And maybe this documentary will help. Probably will. It probably will, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, this... This is a tough business to be in, and as we mentioned, your husband, you married in 1975, is here tonight, you're still together. How have you managed to stay so sane and stable and have a normal family life through all the craziness of show business? Uh, I, woo, I think because I'm not in show business. <laughs> I, I'm an actor, mm -hmm. and that's the difference. Yeah. You can be an actor and not be in show business. It's the business, I think, that makes it hard mm -hmm. for you to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. Acting doesn't make it hard to have a relationship. The mm -hmm. business makes it hard. When you think, when you're comparing what you're doing to somebody else and thinking, well, maybe I should be doing that. Maybe I should be over there. And maybe I don't, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a working actor. And I thought, if I'm going to be a working actor, then maybe I can have some control over my life. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah, we've, 
We've, we've had a very nice life. And, um, you know, it's the kind of life where you never know where you're, whether you're going to work again. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We'll survive. We'll do what we need to do. Um, and maybe something will happen. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but we were always up for whatever. And your daughter, Tess Lynch, has become a very talented writer. She's a very talented writer. And she, she also performed a, in an episode of Drunk History. Not oh, well, my God, she's doing number five <laughs> Drunk History this year. Yeah. So what's it like to see her oh, following in your so footsteps much, in a way? Well, she's not following in my footsteps. No, she doesn't want to be an actress. She loves doing Drunk History. <laughs> but uh, she went to school with the guy who, who uh-huh. produces it and came up with the idea. But... Um, no, she doesn't want to be an actor. She's a writer. Yeah. And she's a really good writer. Yeah, yeah. So I just like the fact that she's not in an office. <laughs> <laughs> not in bad lighting. <laughs> well, we like the fact that you came and joined us here tonight. And I just want oh. to say thank you. Another one. Jane Curtin. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA-FOUND. We'd love to hear from you.